everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Separation is in the Preparation podcast. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Sheldon Dunlap. Coach, how are you? I'm good, and you? Doing really, really well. Super happy to have you on. Um, so to start, could we have you introduce yourself to the listener and then talk a little bit about what you do? Yeah, I, I, my name is Sheldon Dunlap. Uh, I am a currently a strength and conditioning specialist um, working with uh, the Marine Special Operations Command, um, which is a, a subsect of uh, SOCOM, which is Special Operations Command as a whole. Um, I have been, man, I've been doing strength and conditioning since 2012. So I'm coming up on the past nine years now. Um, graduated from Appalachian State University, uh, worked at places like Duke University uh, for the Orlando Magic, UC Davis, and now where I'm at now, uh, back home in North Carolina. So I'm, uh, that's where I'm originally from. And yeah, it's just uh, been a little bit of all over the place working with a little bit of everything. Right on, right on. Um, so I guess the first thing that I'm curious about is when did you decide that being a strength and conditioning coach or specialist was, was what you wanted to do? Uh, it's actually an interesting, um, it's actually an interesting path and story to where I'm at, uh, to get, to, to figure that out. Um, I mean, I guess it, shoot, it could go back to high school, uh, playing football, running track. Um, always seemed like I always something, I got hurt doing something. Um, and so when I ended up getting, going to college at App State, I didn't know what I wanted to do at first. And, um, I ended up settling on exercise science and I was originally going to be a physical therapist. Uh, that's what I wanted to go to school for because, um, I mean, it's job security because people are always going to get hurt. Um, and then it's like, well, I, I always got hurt and I wanted to be able to help people not be able to not get hurt and be able to help people fix themselves. Um, and I guess in kind of a way that's also still what I do now, just on the front end instead of the back end. Um, and so going through school, um, going through my uh, classes for my physical therapy concentration and uh, pre-professional, um, taking classes and I got to, like I wasn't doing the best with my grades, um, other distractions here and there, it's just it, being a college student, it is what it is. Um, and I, got to actually my second senior year. So um, I was at App State for five and a half years. It kind of, a, I had a, a victory lap and a cool down walk is what I like to call it. <laughs> um, uh, and so um, I was in my second senior year and I was like, man, I don't know if I want to sit in an office and work with old people all day. Cause at that time, that's all I knew what physical therapists did. Um, now, man, there's so many different opportunities. And as a physical therapist, I wouldn't want to shy anyone away from that. Um, but I, once I realized that, I kind of just started thinking about what are my other options. Um, I'm sorry, I'm already so deep into my major, I'm not going to change my major. And I was like, okay, well, you know what, let me take this strength and conditioning class. Um, and I mean, I crushed it. I got an A in it. So I was like, all right, maybe this is something I can do. Um, but I really did I, the opportunity to be able to work with my hands, use the knowledge that I have. Um, 
it'd be able to guide people and help them was like, man, I think this is, this could be it for me. So um, that's kind of how I figured strength and conditioning. And then, man, like I, uh, I reached out to my fraternity brothers and I was like, hey, do you guys know anyone that's in the field? And they connected me to another fraternity brother at Duke University um, who was at the time the director of human resources for athletics. And that kind of got my foot in the door for my internship. And from there, he was like, what you do from here, it's on you. Take mm -hmm. it and run with it. You can do it what you want. And so luckily, I, I took it, ran with it, and never turned back. Yeah. Wow. No, I mean, I think it's cool to hear how you were sort of at a crossroads in terms of not knowing exactly what you wanted to do, but then to hear how you, once you got the opportunity and realized like, look, this is, this is the right fit. You kind of, you, you went with it. And like you said, you didn't look back. So I guess, can you talk a little bit about those first days from transitioning from being a student of the material of, of the work to actually implementing it um, as an intern at Duke? Yeah. Um, I mean, it was like, to be honest, like, yes, I took the class in strength and conditioning. I took other little classes here and there. Um, but sitting in the classroom is nothing like being on the floor and walking around. Like, it was, it, it was just so different. Um, so, like, when I first got to Duke, like, I wasn't coaching. I wasn't. I was literally for, like, the first three to four weeks, all I did was watch, um, mm -hmm. which is good for me because I'm a people watcher. And so I, I pick up on cues and this and that. Um, and then once I actually got to start coaching, um, it was more of me kind of seeing what my, what my coaches that I was working with, kind of seeing what they were, things that they were correcting, seeing things um, or hearing kind of the coaching cues that they use and kind of spitting them back out. And then um, I think one way that I really excel is understanding concepts. And so I understood the concept of what if, having a flat back. I understood the concept of what that means. And I was able to take that and say it a different way than just, hey, flat back, flat back. Because you can say that a hundred times and no one's, people aren't really gonna really know what it means. Or yeah. if it's not clicking by the fifth time, the 95th time isn't really gonna help either. Um, and so being able to take that and be like, hey, stick your sternum out or stick your belly button out. And just kind of flipping that over, flipping that on its head, and like don't just think flat back, think okay, I'm do this a different way. Um, and so that's kind of really what my early days were like. And there were definitely some growing pains with it. Uh, man, I did uh, my first workout, the first workout that I did by myself for, like I, like my own workout when I was an intern. Oh my gosh, it just it gives me cringes thinking about it now. <laughs> um, I set. I set the crash bars out on um, on the rack. I put the bar on the crash bars. I took them off of the J hooks and put them onto the crash bars and proceeded to bench press like that. And like, I, obviously, first thing for my first workout in the weight room, I bench press. Like, it's just kind of like the you don't know what to do. And my coaches are like, "Oh, you're gonna work out today?" And I was always kind of like, "Nah." nah. And I kind of like avoided because I didn't know what I was doing. Right. They knew I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> um, they just wanted to see what I do. And obviously it was trash. So 
um, it, it, it's like those were kind of what those early days were. Okay, let's, we're going to see what happens and fix it. Um, after a while of me not knowing what to do, I got a, I actually the first, the first workout that I did that they gave me was the women's soccer program. Like I did the women's soccer workout because they're, they're one of the teams that I was working with and I was on the struggle bus. So it's it, it, that those first days had those kind of growing pains, man. Like I, hell, I wore jeans one day to the weight room because I was like, I'm, I'm, it's work. Why can't I wear jeans? Um, never did that again. Um, <laughs> so it was just like <laughs> I made all those little mistakes, but I learned and I grew. I was under someone's wing, and they kind of guided me in the right way. Yeah, for sure. And I, I heard you talk a little bit about two things that I think are really, really important. One is kind of how you had to start like learning by observation. And I just imagine for your profession, observation is a really, really important tool, right? Can you look at somebody movement, something that they're doing and figure out what they need to do differently? And then along those same lines, the communication aspect, right? I mean, you said it, you can say it's the same thing over and over and over to somebody, and that's probably not going to help them um, understand what you're talking about. But I think it's the mark of a really good teacher who can take complex or even what may appear to be simple concepts and communicate them and share them in different ways so that the individual can ultimately get the message, which is the point of communication in the first place. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we had a, had, I'm actually, I'm still like, I'm friends with uh, this person on Instagram and Facebook, I think. Um, but we had an athlete on the rowing team and she could not for the life of her figure out how to put how to get her, her back flat both of the coaches spent um there was a coach that was there who was a, a, a couple of years older than me and it was probably like actually duke's first olympic like uh sports intern and then my mentor carl like they would they were they both spent a year trying to get her to, to flatten her back out and, and this is doing like a clean no, this, she was just doing things like dumbbell row. Okay. Wow. Couldn't flatten her back out. And they were like, I, I, I don't know. And I, in, again, I just kind of took the same concept of, well, if I keep just, instead of flattening your back out, stick your, stick your sternum out. And then boom, she did it. And then by, and then uh, my mentor walks over to her and was like, like, hope, oh, I don't know if I can cuss on it. But anyway, he was like, um, he was like, oh man, Al, like that looks awesome. How did how did you figure this out? And then they were like, oh yeah, Coach Sheldon helped me. Um, and he was, and so he calls over the other coach that's in the office working. He was like, hey Alex, come look at this. He was like, Al's flat, Al's uh, back is flat. And I'm like, I just told her to do it the same thing, just a different way of saying it. Yeah. Um, but I, again, like uh, being able to communicate, like you said, is a huge piece of it. I mean, that's coaching in a nutshell, communication. For sure, for sure. And another thing you mentioned too, like having worked with you um, personally, I know it's something that you do, but you like to do the workouts yourself before putting them out to student athletes. And I imagine that's something that you still do now that you're training Marines. How can you talk a little bit about why you do that and why you think that's important? Um, I do it because for me, it's it's important to, I, I remember on another podcast I was on, I mentioned it, and um, uh, the, the the host of the podcast kind of, he referred to it as like a cook tasting his own cooking, like he wanted to make sure it tastes right, and, 
and everything is is what it's supposed to be. And like there are certain things um, that there are certain things that I can that I can put together. And I was like, man, that it sounded good on paper, but in practice, not a great idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just like I just want to be able to troubleshoot before I do it. Um, and sometimes it's like, hey, this is a good workout. Like I'm just gonna keep rolling along this path and see what happens. Um, and that's just kind of what that's just kind of what kind of transpires and how I how I end why I end up doing what I do is like I want to I want to try this out. Um, and it really helps helps me a lot. Helps me able to figure things out. And honestly, um, it kind of helps give me confidence in me. Like, okay, I know what this feels like this is what it's going to feel like for you. Like, yeah, this is about to suck. I know what sucked for me. <laughs> get ready for that. Um, be able to give those people, give people the disclaimer of like, Hey, you might not want to go as heavy as you, you think you want to go on this, on this lift. Right. Um, especially in the, in the area that I'm in now, there, there are people who pride and ego is a big thing. Yeah. And I'm, I got it. I got something that we're doing. I'm like, hey, I'm gonna let y'all know this now. You might want to bump down 10, 15 pounds because it's about to get real. And they'll take it and they'll and they'll they'll do they'll do what I say because like, all right, he, he kind of knows what he's saying. He's been there, done before. Because I've I've not said things and people have gotten buried. And I'm like, well, probably should have said something. So just learning, yeah. learning from mistakes and kind of growing from it. No, for sure. And I mean, I think with the wide range of sports that you've worked with at the collegiate and professional level, having some practical experience in doing those movements yourself in terms of a teaching tool, I think is really valuable. But can you talk, I guess, along those lines about how you kind of manage working with so many different sports, either over the course of your career, or even I know like at Davis, you were sort of simultaneously programming for three, four five different sports at the same time. Yeah, um, actually, three, four, five is actually a, an under. You're you're under on the number. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, that uh, at Davis, I had women's basketball, women's water polo, track and field, all aspects of track and field. So that's the sprinters, the mid distance, the throwers, um, the multis. So all of those are slightly different aspects and slightly yep. different programs. Um, so women's basketball, women's water polo, track and field, men's soccer, swim, which I really didn't program as much for swim, but I did for diving, equestrian. Um, there was a time I had women's tennis and softball. Uh, it, there was, there was so many different things and and whatnot with that. Um, and it's really, really having to be organized and I'd program four weeks out at a time put four weeks out on the sheet, boom. I don't have to worry about this for another four weeks. I got what I want to, I got my plan in my head, put it on paper. There's That's this four weeks and this is how we're rolling. Um, there are times where I do have to like course correct, but mm-hmm. um, it's not, after doing it a couple of years, it's some of those things like you can account for, or okay, it's not as big of a deal if we miss this workout we can shift or we can mix, we can mix day two and day three together on this day. We kind of get a little bit of everything. Um, but yeah, it's, 
sometimes your head's spinning and sometimes you sometimes you got it on right and uh just gotta take advantage of the time you got it on right and see how you can get ahead for sure and in that like have there been times where you've had to either totally adjust a plan or like or like do things over because either the group isn't progressing like they need to be or they're just not understanding maybe they're an inexperienced team or there's not a lot of weight room experience across the board um yeah so my actual first my first days or really first month or so at uc davis um i had a track program i had uh that at that point in time i just only had the sprinters and hurdlers um and it was my first time ever having track and my thought process going in is, man, I have all these cool things that I learned from, like, I, I worked under a track guru when I was at Duke. Right. Like, there are so many cool things that I can do to help get them faster. And there, but there were also certain things I didn't fully understand. Um, and so I'm, I'm starting to pump out the program. I got these little quick twitch movements and, and all these things. And we're in August, in October, uh, no, we're in like October, September, October. And it's also the same time that uh, Coach Sheffield had his heart attack. So he went down with his heart attack and I was just by myself. Like I didn't have any guidance from, from him. Um, but Coach Ackley kind of came to him and was like, hey Sheldon, the things that you're doing right now are great but they're great in things that you should do in February, not in September and October. And I was like, oh, and then it, that's when it clicked in my head. So I literally scrapped everything we were doing and course corrected and put us on the right path. So when Coach Sheffield actually did get back and it was February, and they were, they, he got back in February and they were testing and he was, he was like, Sheldon, I don't know what you're doing, what you did with them, but they're running times right now that they should be running in April and we're in February. So whatever you're doing, just keep it up. Yeah. And I was just like, I thank God I was able to, to figure it out. Um, and it, it also set me up for in the future, more things and more ideas that could come from from that course correction and really like actually like kind of set me on the right path like ah i was messing this up here's what we need to do go yeah no i think what sort of what sort of i hear is there's like a humility that kind of comes with your role oh, yeah. being like it's like, what's important for the athlete is is what's important not what i think or what i all these cool ideas that i have or whatever yeah and and my field, the field of strength and conditioning, like I said uh, earlier, like is there's a lot of ego and a lot of pride mm -hmm. in the field of strength and conditioning. Um, and it, there are definitely times that it gets in the way of people's progression or people are looking at it like, oh, this is my program. I did this, I did that. Um, and even to the point where some people are, you see, you see an exercise that that you did or you taught someone, and next thing you know, they're pumping it out like it, it's, hey, this is the next best thing. I just kind of came up with this on my own, created it. 
people don't it, there's so much of that and it's just yeah. like some people are trying to really get that leg up and the humility of it gets lost like there's mm-hmm. there's, there's definitely that ego humility people don't want to be wrong people will argue down argue you down for something that you make a good logical thing yeah argument for and they'll just keep arguing you down and it's like okay at some point it's like all right i'm gonna let you i'm gonna let you do you but i'm gonna go over here and do this and we'll see how it works out for you um but yeah being able to being able to have that taste of humble pie in your mouth is not the best but hey it's it's the best learning tool that you can get for sure i mean i think that really resonates with everybody in any sort of field that you're in right i think if you invest a lot of time in something and are passionate about it, you're going to be a little wary of accepting criticism on it and changing it. But in the interest of putting out the best product, that's the mindset that you've got to have. Mm-hmm. De- definitely. Um, being able to being able to eat your words as nasty as they may taste and figuring <laughs> it out. Like you, it's again, like you said, putting that, putting the needs of the athlete and the team before yourself and your ego is, is, is yeah. huge. So kind of on that point about the needs of the athlete, how are you, what are your strategies for working with athletes who, like you said, maybe there's an ego involved, right? They think they know their needs, right? They've been doing things a certain way for a long period of time, but you have a valuable perspective to offer in, th- in like, in the sense that maybe you should change these things and they're sort of stuck in their routine. Um, have there been situations like that where you've, that you've encountered? Uh, yeah, definitely have been. And more so now in the world that I'm in now with the military, because mm-hmm. um, you get such a mixed bag of people and of a mixed bag of experiences. Um, excuse me, like back in co- when I was working in college, it's kind of here's my program, you do it. Um, the only person you're really having those conversations with are maybe my head, maybe my staff and my strength and my, and my head strength coach who may sit down and look at a program like, Hey, why are you doing this and that? And it's all kind of constructive or you sitting down with the head, uh, with the head sports coach, you're like, Hey, what we got going on? And then trying to also like convince it. Sometimes you got to do some convincing, uh, that this is the best course. Um, but as far as like talking to the actual individual, um, where I'm at now, you do have people who, who have done maybe like, I don't know, they're like there, there's some, I had a kid in a, in a class once and we were taking an unload week and I look over and he's got, we're doing front squats because for some of these courses that I coach, like I don't do back squat, we do front squat. Um, and so he's front squatting and he has like 235, 245, something like that on the bar on front squat and he's failing and it's on unload week. Um, and you, you know, because you've seen me do this with your team before, like, like, yo, what are you doing? It's unload week. Why are you failing? Like you shouldn't need anyone over here spotting you. Why do I got to go over here and babysit you? Yeah. Um, and his response is, Hey, I've, I've been, I've been lifting. He's this kid's probably like 22. He's like, I've been lifting for like the past four years and never took an unload week. And I've always been fine. Like, I don't need to do an unload week. And I was like, oh, okay, you grown. Now you're either going to get this unload week one way or another. Mm-hmm. You can take it voluntarily or you can take it involuntarily. But my advice to you is to, hey, 
back off. This is what we got going on. Um, and hopefully get the, hopefully he's my message. This yeah. kid, this kid, he didn't literally the next week he's come to me like, Hey coach, my back is, my back is thrown out right now. I don't know what happened. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm, <laughs> all I really wanted to say is I told you so. Right. Like I, what happened last week about not needing this uh, unload week? Like what happened? Um, but I'm like, all right, here's what you can do. Here you go. Lay down on the ground. We're going to do this, this and that. And I patch him up and make sure he ends up getting over to our physical therapist getting seen. Um, and honestly, from that moment on, he kind of, kind of snapped right and, uh, straightened up and, uh, kind of like bought into what I, what I was selling, um, and ended up making really good gains from it. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, it's again, kind of being able to figure out how to talk to people, how to communicate of, Hey, this is a program we got. Here's why this is beneficial for you. Here's, here's this, here's why we're doing this. And that's a real big piece is under, especially for the group I work with now is that why, right. They have a lot of questions and a lot of times they get, they have questions that necessarily aren't for me. They'll have questions to their superiors. And sometimes the answer to those questions are because I told you to. Mm. And so it, I think it's valuable for me to be like, okay, here's your question. And it's not because I told you to, but it's a reason. Like there's right. a method to the madness behind it. And it kind of helps build that trust and be able to work and guide them in the right way. And just kind of kind of build their credit with them. Absolutely. No, I think that that piece of not working until you feel sensory fatigue, right? Adhering mm -hmm. to the program is something that I've seen a lot of of my contemporaries really struggle with this idea. I'm going to go hard every single time I go into the gym, which is just not the right way to think about it. So I guess, can you talk a little bit about like the importance of periodization and like, I guess the benefits of it for somebody who maybe doesn't understand it? Yeah. Um, so periodization is like we're gonna we're gonna climb this hill and we're not just gonna run immediately to the top of the hill. We're gonna take this hill in chunks. Okay. And we're gonna we're maybe this maybe this hill is a hundred miles long. Okay, like today we're gonna get 10 miles in. Um day two, we might do five miles of the hill. Day three, we may do another 10 miles, but as that whole week equals up to 25 miles. Okay, we covered 25 miles this week. That's great. Um, and you kind of kind of take that in chunks, but then there's, you hit an unload week, okay? Like you can't keep doing 25 miles every week um, because again, like I said, like you're either gonna get that unload week voluntarily or involuntarily. Mm -hmm. And so, hey, we hit this unload week, okay, instead of doing 25 miles this week, we're gonna do 10 miles, right. okay? We're only gonna do 10 miles this week. We're gonna take it a little bit easy, give ourselves, give our, our body a chance to recover. And then, okay, then now we can crush this last, well, that's 50, now we can, now if we wanted to, we can crush this next, I don't know, like 20 miles. Right. 
in a shorter time. Um, but it also give, it gives your body that chance to, um, to really recover. And then it's also to get into like technical terms, there's um, like your body will hit, you'll get that kind of shock, like the shock. And that's kind of when your body is like, like, oh man, like, okay, red flags, red flags are going off. Okay, we need to fix this, we need to fix this, we need to fix that. Um, and then we kind of keep hitting those shocks a little bit along the way. And then once you kind of take the unload week, it kind of gives you your body that chance to come back and kind of what's called like super compensation. Um, and you're able to kind of go back and be a lot more stronger than where you were, be a little higher than where you were on that week one uh, for that week five. I normally, um, I normally will go three weeks on, one week off. Um, sometimes I'll stretch that out to four to five weeks, but I never really take it to six weeks on. Um, I'll probably, I'll take an unload week before it gets that far into yeah. it most of the time. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that, uh, that metaphor of, of, of climbing the hill. I think that's, I think there's a lot of people who can, who can relate to that. And there's just the communication piece too, that you touched on earlier of, of athletes understanding the why behind what they're doing, not just because you told them to. And I imagine that communication piece is too, is also really crucial when you're communicating at the collegiate level and the professional level as well with, um, with the head coaches. So can you guys talk a little bit about how you sort of, you mentioned having to do some convincing at times, like how you manage the relationships with um, the different head coaches that you work with at the collegiate level? Yeah. Um, so some of my head coaches were like awesome. Like they were, they were literally like on my side or like, Hey, whatever you say, Sean goes, if this is like, yeah. if someone's late, here's the punishments for like you, like there's repercussions and whatnot for that. Um, this is, this is your program. You were in the show. This is your area of expertise. I'm gonna let you do, let you do you. Um, some of my coaches, it did take some convincing, some more than others. Um, so, like for women's basketball coach, Coach Gross, she was she was fine. She was like, "Children, go do you." Um, same thing with women's water polo. Uh, when I had Coach Sheffield for track and field, um, but then there were some other coaches that it took a little bit more convincing, even with track and field. So with uh, like with my throwers. Like I didn't have my throwers for the first two of the four years that I had track. Um, then we got a new head strength coach and he went to the track team and was like, hey, I want to have all of you under Shel under Coach Sheldon, under Coach Dunlap. And uh and begrudgingly, they did. They they were like, okay, that's cool, we can do that. Um and so at first my throws coach was kind of like he was like, hey Sheldon, like this is the kind of program we've been doing. Uh, I want you to take a look at it, um, say maybe some things are, I want you to kind of use the bulk of this and then what, and just kind of, and, uh, and maybe make a little minor changes here and there. And it kind of took convincing in the way of like, okay, you're starting, like, I understand where you want to go with this, but it's not necessarily the best thing for your team right now. Mm -hmm. Um, or even some of these complexes might not make, they just don't make sense to do. Um, I was like, so, hey, let me, let me play around with it this way and we'll see what happens. Um, he was like, he, they, it kind of just kind of took that conversation and 
um, I, I was able to fully take over and do the program and write it how I wanted to write it. And man, we kind of, we kind of, we went places. Yeah. Um, so like that was kind of one kind of convincing. There's still some coaches that I don't think I ever actually convinced. Um, and so like you're a coach for like men's soccer, like, I don't, I think he, he had, I don't know. Um, he, um, man, he was really afraid that I was going to get you guys hurt in the weight room or um, he was kind of really afraid. Like, I, I, I don't know what his, what really what he was afraid of. I don't know. Uh, but I'd never really convinced him. Um, even after we had a really great spring, you guys went home and had a really great summer and trained your butts off, like worked really hard, ran hard. Uh, you guys did my, um, my conditioning program to the T and things were great. You guys came back stronger and better fitness than you had previously. Those are his own words. And then three weeks later, I'd never see y'all. I don't see y'all until January, until the season's over again. So it's, there were those kinds of things. It was like, hey, like, I understand you say that you have this complicated schedule and you guys can't make it work. But women's soccer schedule is also just as complicated and they're in here two, like at least twice a week. So yeah. what, what are you saying? Um, and I, got, I think that was just, like I said, I think it was this fear that I was going to bog you guys down in the middle of the season you guys are going to start getting hurt and injured and off of this and that um and he's just that old school soccer coach it's like soccer is notorious like in the strength and conditioning world soccer is notoriously one of those sports where it's kind of like yeah i got men soccer they're great for about five months and then i don't see him for the next yeah i don't i don't see him for the next seven months so it is what it is um so davis is not unique in that in that aspect yeah i um, guess along yeah. those lines can you talk about the importance of maintaining a consistent strength and conditioning program in season not just in the off season oh yeah definitely it's i think it's paramount um because again we build like that like that summer and leading up into the season we built such a good strong base and you guys came into the season crushing people preseason crushing people um injury rates were low um i i think it, was, it might have been like six weeks after i had last seen y'all the little things start to pop up with someone's someone's hamstring here or or something a little bit there um because right there you're getting you're getting all of this stuff at practice and you're kind of really your muscles are kind of getting beat up you're kind of really deteriorating in some of those roles but you're never really building anything back up um and there's some things that get neglected like because uh, the best sports specific training you can do is just play your sport and I 100% like understand that. Mm -hmm. um, but even playing your sport, there are certain things that kind of get 
that you don't, you may not hit all the time. Right. Um, so like when I had you guys doing head tilts, okay, like we do, we, for our neck training, um, concussion prevention, like it really, really helped and it, it did a lot of great things, even from like my women's water polo team. Um, and you guys may not like some of that may be something that gets neglected during the season. Right. And some guy goes up, takes a hard hit on like a set piece or something. And because his neck, it may not be as strong as it was at the beginning. It's not like you've been doing head tilts on your own. Um, but they then things kind of pop up. So you might get that concussion or um, you guys may not have been doing like, you know, unless you're, some of the guys are going to the gym on their own, which some did. Um but unless you guys are going into the gym on your own, like, are you really getting that core training like you should be? Are you getting that shoulder strength and stability like you should be? Are our guys two months into the season on, on a throw-in, are you, are you getting that ball as far as you were getting it? Um, and some of those things just kind of fall by the wayside. Some things do stay strong, but some don't. Right. Um, and I mean, for me, like training on the in, training in season, um, it's a huge piece. So like, it's, it kind of keeps you, it keeps you afloat, uh, I guess is a way to say it. Um, Cause again, like you're in, you're in a boat and you're taking on water every day. And sometimes the, some of the strength stuff is, is you like taking a bucket of water and toss it over to the side. Yep. Um, and I don't know. Yeah, I think that's those are kind of my thoughts on training in season. Um, my pretty much most, if not all, of my teams pretty like trained in season. Um, and I think what for me one of my biggest successes, or I felt like it was my biggest biggest success with uh, with training, is um, with our women's basketball team, especially my first year that I was there. Um, like we had every, the story was like every year before I got there, people were getting injured left to right middle of the season, like people going down all over the place. And uh, at the end of the season, they're in the, they're in the um, Big West tournament. Coach can look down the bench and every person that's eligible to play is healthy and can play. Mm. Um and I, I definitely think like that having that training piece in the season um, and I don't, I don't know if I had the magic sauce or what, but they were there. They were there. The coach was, they were, they played up to a level that they hadn't previously played up to in past years and were able to kind of like keep that, start that, uh, that momentum rolling. Um, but I, I, I like to think that, having every player available at the end is a huge success for me. And that was like, okay, you just got to keep this thing going. How can I do this? How can I do this and get better? Yeah, no, I mean, I think from my own experience, just as I've progressed in, in the level of play over my own career, just the, the consistency and durability that I've gained from taking it upon myself to consistently train, whether in season or off season has certainly helped me, stay on the field and at the professional level, for sure. If you aren't able to perform and do your job, that's when you lose your job and somebody right. else comes and takes it. So certainly really important. And I guess kind of 
on that to transition into your time with the Orlando Magic, both um, with the NBA team and and as the head strength coach for the for the Erie in the at the time, I guess that was the D League, right? Was it before the G League? Yeah, so yeah. kind of dating myself, but yeah, um, <laughs> it was. Uh, so I was the assistant strength and conditioning coach for Orlando Magic, and the head strength and conditioning coach for the Erie BayHawks, um, and it was, it was interesting. Like there were guys who wanted to work, but may not have been as talented. There were guys who were talented that didn't want to work. Interesting. Um, and then you had, we had one guy who's now in the NBA who was very talented, started off not working. And then partway through the season, he came in to get the work. Um, so it, it, was, uh, it was an interesting time really working for, uh, working for the Orlando Magic. And um, my first day, my first day I get in and we're down in, we're down in Orlando, we're doing training camp. And I get in and I'm like, hey, what do we got on the plan for today? Because first day, I don't know what's going on. Right. Um, and coach is like, hey, we got some squats going on. The guys are gonna get in here and squat. I was. I was kind of pumped up. I was like, all right, guys, I get some squat. Okay, how heavy are some of the guys getting? Uh, and he was like, okay, we got a uh, dead man. Is he going to get to, he's probably going to get to like 375 today. And I was like, okay, we squatting, squatting. Okay, let's <laughs> let's see what we're doing here. I was pumped, ready to go. So he could, he comes in, gets under the bar. i never forget this. Um, he comes in, gets under the bar, and goes down maybe six inches. Now Dwayne Dedden was like, well, like six, uh, six ten, six. Like he's tall. I don't know how tall he is. He's tall. Yeah. And the bar maybe moves six inches. So I'm like, he's he's got like six to eight reps. I'm like, yo, get low, get lower, get lower, get lower, get lower. Every rep. I'm saying, hey, you gotta get lower. He racks the bar up, turns around, like, nah, bro, I don't get low. And I'm just like, what are we doing? Unreal. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just in awe. Uh, and it's it's crazy. Um, I've heard stories of Paul Pierce coming into the weight room at the beginning of the season because some teams will find you if you don't come and lift. They'll find you. He, I've heard stories of him coming into the weight room with his checkbook. Like, here you go. Here's a check. I'm not coming. Wow. And you're like, mind blown. Like, what? Um, and so basketball is, is growing more in strength and conditioning. Like it's becoming a lot more, like people are seeing the importance of it. Um, but there are times like there's some people or some places that's really old school where it's like, it's not there, it's not there. They got here without it. What I need to do it now for. Um, and so there is, there's that. And then, uh, my head coach for the Bayhawks, um, he was an interesting man. And uh, he, uh, so one day, like the first week that we're up in Erie, uh, he comes in and he, he's like, hey, hey guys, I want you guys to get in this afternoon. Uh, we'll get in this week uh, with Sheldon. Um, everyone, I need you to get in two times this week, except for Seth and Peyton. You'll get, you guys only got to come once. And I was just like, what kind of, like, 
what do you, what do you want me to do? You just kind of tied my hands behind my back and kind of hamstrung me and kind of really said that what I'm here doing isn't that important. That's, right. that's exactly what you just told them. And those two guys, um, or, Seth and Peyton, were they his his top two players? Yeah. So um, Peyton Siva played oh, yeah. at Louisville the year when they uh, they they won their uh, championship, and then Seth Curry. Okay. Is, is Seth Curry. Seth Curry. Um, and uh, like the way that we had it then was uh, there were four guys who had a two way contract with the Magic. Um, so Peyton Siva. Siva uh Seth Curry uh Kadeem Batts played for Providence and then Drew Crawford played at Northwestern um I'm pretty sure that's where he played at um and those were like the two-way players that also had a contract with the Magic and those like those guys had their playing time like locked up sealed um and so Peyton very talented on the court awesome weight room last guy in first guy out and i'm like there's no way that you got through all this sets of stuff in 30 minutes either you're not trying because it's light or you're skipping stuff so but at that point it's like well what can i do my coach isn't backing me i've talked to him about the importance of doing this because you you get that call up and you're standing there in front of lebron you're gonna wish you had more time in the weight room (laughs) yeah um and so like i said and so um seth was the guy who was uh he um of course very highly talented obviously you see he's putting in work now at the sixers um he at first he kind of was like hey coach i only got to come in once i'm gonna come in once um and that's kind of what that probably lasted a month um and then he he was in after that, like he was like, forget, like he had a, some shoulder issues going on um, at the time. And he came in, worked with me a little bit extra with that. And from then on out, like he was in, like he was, uh, he was in twice a week, like with the rest of the team, getting in the work like everyone else. Um, and it was really cool to be able to see him buy into it. Uh, I was really, uh, for me, that was, again, those, those successes, like to be able to see him know that he only has to come once but he's coming twice it also speaks to him and his testament to be to be where he is today uh and it was, it was super awesome i was actually um forgot about this he uh stacked magazine came out and did a uh a little like interview or a day in the life of a d-league player with seth at the time and uh you can catch a boy you can catch uh, coach dunlap on there when i still had hair <laughs> oh no i've got to check that out stack magazine right on man yeah you can uh you look up uh i think on youtube uh seth curry stacked or stack or however you say it and right uh, after we're done taping i'm looking it up <laughs> yeah so uh man a long time ago but yeah it, and that's kind of like the pros like there was there like talking to my boss at the time um it was, hey, like, like, how do you, how do you get these guys to, to do it, to buy in? Like, you gotta, and he's like, you just gotta communicate and kind of talk to them on a level that makes sense to them. For some of these guys, it's money. It's, um, I want to be able to enhance and create a little bit more. It kind of enhanced your career longevity, and that's just, and like, okay, like, if I work now, 
can I play until I'm in my until I'm in my late 30s and and maybe a little later than that? Um, or is there going to be something that's going to take me out? Um, some some people are lucky. Some people just got good genes, and some people got to work. Um, yeah. And so it's it's being able to create and uh, create that those relationships with these guys. Um, some of those guys are still following Instagram and like hit them up every once in a while, or like they'll post something, knock out and talk junk back to them on her or something. But yeah. um, for the most part, like they were good guys. And again, like there were guys that, that wanted to work. There were guys that wanted to do extra. Um, there were guys that did the bare minimum, but they did what you asked. And there are guys that went above and beyond. Uh, so that's, I mean, really in strength and conditioning or really in coaching and really in life, like those are your kind of your three categories of people. Yep. The people you gotta, maybe even four, the people who are gonna, who aren't gonna do what you want or who are gonna fight you tooth and nail, the people who are gonna do the bare minimum and then, but they'll do what you ask. And then you got the people who are gonna do more, who are gonna run, a, who are gonna wanna work and get better. Yeah. Um, so it just kind of, there's, it kind of, there's all kinds of little different dynamics within that. For sure. No, I, I, re I really like what you said about the motivational piece for each specific person being different, right? Maybe somebody it's longevity, maybe somebody it's financial, maybe somebody it's performance-based, right? But I think like people think about strength coaches as like the stereotype of like yelling and motivating and rah-rah and stuff like that. When really, when I hear you talk about it, it's about finding what works for the specific individual. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm not a yeller in the least bit. I think I sound funny. So I, that's, that's honestly the main reason I don't yell at people. <laughs> so like, I feel like I'm, my voice is going to squeak when I'm trying to yell at somebody or something like that. So I was like, I don't yell at people. So like I could, I can coach, I can look at people and they know that they're messing up just by the look at my face. It, I've, gotten you know. look. I've gotten yeah. that look. I've gotten that look. I've gotten that look. I know exactly <laughs> it, what you're talking and about. So, um, but being able to, being able to do your jobs, sometimes like there's, there was a day, there was a, a couple of days where I lost my voice. I couldn't yell at anybody, right. but I, have, I still had to coach. Still had people, I still had teams to train. Um, so nonverbal cues, um, sometimes again, like, like finding that what motivates this person. Like there may be a, there may be a teammate who came in earlier today to list. I was like, yo, he put up some weight. I don't know if you're gonna be able to keep up mm. or uh, especially like if you know a, two people on a team kind of got a little bit of play for rivalry going on, like yeah, you can yeah, play yeah. up, you can use that information, you play with it. Um, some people want to compete with you as a coach or compete with me as a coach. It's, it's gonna, so like, oh, like, hey, I did this earlier today or like I'll go up to them and they hit like they're hitting, they're hitting some weight that's probably at like 75 or 80 percent of where they where their max is. And I was like, oh, let me know you're done warming up. I'll be back when you get finished warming up. Or um, so that's probably one of my favorite ones. And then I recently I started pulling out like a guy hits, his, he's hitting maybe, a, maybe a, he may be hitting doubles or singles, maybe his last set. And I know it's his last, I know he's been over there hitting at least four or five sets before this because I watched him do it. Um, and I walk over and I'm like, hey, what are you going to do for your second set? Just was like, just kind of mess with him. Like, I know that was your first set. It's a lightweight. What are you going to do for the next one? 
Um, and they'll, they'll kind of like chuckle it or laugh it off. And then it's like, yeah, it moves really easy. Let me see you put a little bit more on there. Right. And so it's, um, there's all these little tricks of the trade and coaching and kind of motivating people or kind of getting people to do what you want to do. Or sometimes it's, um, and this is actually one of the things I liked when I was at Davis, when we had kilogram plates, because mm -hmm. y'all don't know how, y'all don't know what kilograms are. In, in like pounds. And so um, I could put weight on a bar and y'all not really know what it is. Cause like, I know that you guys could, some of y'all could do this weight. You just may not have that belief in yourself. So I'm like, right, right. right here's, here's what we're gonna do. Like they, or they'll know what a red plate or how heavy a red plate is. And maybe a red plate and a blue plate and they'll understand what that is and not really know what the number means. Uh, but they just know those two plates are heavy. So I'm like, okay, here's what we're going to do. You're going to take off this red plate and a blue plate. You're going to put a blue plate, blue plate, excuse me, a blue, a yellow, um, a green, and another green. And we're going to go like that, not knowing that it's the exact same weight, just a different configuration. Right. Um, but it kind of made them seem or made them think that, hey, I'm not doing as much weight. Let me see if I can get it to stop. And then lo and behold, they'll do it. And I'm like, oh. Okay, it's the same thing. Congrats. And nice. it's like, oh, I didn't know. It was no, that was a PR or something like that. So it was there, there's little ways to be able to get that motivation and yeah. and kind of I don't want to say play those mind games, but really it's kind of like a mind game. Really, I guess really that's what coaching is sometimes. It is that mind game. For sure. Yeah. Wow. I mean, there's been there's been some really cool insights. I love the I mean, the stories from your time in Erie or Orlando and just your overall experience working in in, um, in, in collegiate athletics has provided some really valuable material. Um, I guess as we get closer to wrapping things up, I got to ask you, like, do you have a favorite exercise that I guess maybe your favorite exercise to do yourself personally? Ooh, deadlift. Easy. Deadlift is my is my jam. Um, I don't know if I'm built for it or what, but that's my heaviest lift, and probably um, yeah, that's it's just that's my heaviest lift. Um, my PR and that's five hundred one, um, and I did that back in like two thousand seventeen. So it's been a minute since I've been that heavy, but Fair. deadlift that's my jam. Okay. Deadlift. All right. Do you have a, a your best tip that you have for recovery? Sleep sleep and eat um people for me um especially when i was back in the collegiate setting um it hurt my soul to the bone to hear someone come in like hey i just pulled an all-nighter i don't know what i got for you and i'm just like it's 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 so detrimental like you know i don't know if people really understand how detrimental that is so now you're gonna you're gonna come into a weight room sleep deprived, loud music, doing physical labor. Like all of those things are kind of torture techniques. I don't know if you understand that the people use those, those same tactics in certain settings to like slip, sleep deprivation, bright lights, loud music, like, come on. You, you just setting yourself up for failure right. and then you're gonna leave here and go take a test. Like, good job, yeah, yeah. good job. Yeah. Um, yeah. So sleep, sleep is huge. There's so many, like all of the good things happen in your body when you sleep. That's when um, HGH, like your, your, your body's own natural human growth hormone is released. 
when you sleep. That's kind of like your body's time to kind of do its checks and balances and fix what needs to be fixed. And if you don't sleep, what 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 are you what are you doing to yourself? You're not doing yourself yeah. any favors. Yeah. Um, and again, after that, it's eating. You gotta you gotta eat. You gotta eat right. So I mean, if even if you do get good sleep, but you're not eating right, okay, like now your body's rebuilding you back with with junk. Mm. Okay, so instead of instead of your body building you back with steel or this and that, now your body's building. Now you're building your body back with I don't know some other like fossil wood or something like I don't know something some cheap wood. Yeah. Because you all you did was eat Snickers and and I don't know. So it eat right and sleep well that's going to take care of really everything you really need. Um, as far as nutrition, like you don't necessarily need supplements as long as you're eating, right? That's supplements. Yeah. It's supposed to supplement what you're eating, not, you're not supposed to live off of them. So, and I know plenty of people who live off of them. I'm like, all right, well, there's better ways, but you grown. Yeah. 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 Well, that's, that's all for me really again coach i have to i have to thank you thanks for sharing your time and your experience this has been uh really really cool for me personally to kind of hear your sort of story and journey and strength and conditioning and also your your insights and anecdotes has been it's been awesome and i know the, that the listener will uh will feel the same well cool i i again i feel honored that you asked me to do this um it's not often that I get, I mean, I've done a couple of times, but it's not often that I get a chance to come and talk and share some, some story and some stories in my story. Um, so again, I appreciate it for sure. Right on. Okay, coach. Talk to you soon. All right. You have a good one. Thanks for listening to this episode of the separation is in the preparation podcast. If you found it valuable, please do what you can to share it with others. As always, you can find us on Instagram at the sep is in the prep. Or if you'd like to contact me directly, I can be found on all social media platforms under the handle at Wallaps11. Thanks and take care.